بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما وسلموا شريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد سر الحمد لله this is the sixth lesson in our journey through the book of Imam Ibn Qayyim Rahmatullah Al-Jawab Al-Kafi Liman Sa'ala Ani Al-Dawa'i Shafi The sufficient answer for the one who asks regarding a complete cure Another name of the book is Al-Da'u Al-Dawa On the premise of this whole book is on the question asked by a person Ibn Al-Qayyim Rahmatullah was asked a question What do the scholars say regarding a person who is stuck in a sin? The person knows that this sin is harmful for him in this world and the life hereafter. He's tried everything to get rid of that sin and give up that bad habit, but he just can't do it. It just becomes harder and harder and harder. What is the way out? So this was the question. In response to that, Imam Ibn Qayyim started giving a response and it became a whole book. And this is the journey that we're going through. And we've said time and time again, this is as if it's, he's showing us the psychology of sin. Why do people commit sins? How do sins come into our lives? It's not overnight a person becomes a habitual sinner. There's a whole process and for us to understand that it's necessary for every Muslim to understand and know how um, these things happen. So those of you who've missed the previous sessions, they're available on the Masjid YouTube channel. You can go there and you can follow inshallah. Uh, this is the sixth lesson. And um, in the previous lesson, We've been discussing that this world, Ibn Qayyim said, this world is a place of means, Darul Asbab. You've got Sabab and you've got Musabab. You've got the cause and the effect. This is how the world works. There's a cause and there's an effect. So Darul Asbab. So everything we do has, uh, has implications, has a consequence. And the primary way to bring good into our life is through obedience. And the primary way to bring evil into our lives is through disobedience. Now, last session, which was after Fajr today, earlier today, we spoke about, we started speaking about the harmful effects of sins. And we covered seven of them. Who can remind us what they were? There were seven we spoke about. Number one, Hirman al-Ilm, mashallah, very well remembered with the Arabic as well. So we've got some good students here, mashallah. Hirmanul ilm, mashallah. And what does Hirmanul ilm mean? Hirmanul ilm in English, anybody? Okay, loss of knowledge, deprivation of knowledge. Knowledge, we're not talking about information, we're talking about true knowledge. And what did we say? What is knowledge? Knowledge is nur, it's light. Where do we find true knowledge? In the heart. Committing sins is a darkness. So if a person commits sins, a person will not have the true knowledge which is in the heart. For the eyes to see, you need light. In the dark, you can't see. Okay? That's what we call eyesight. When the heart sees, we call that insight. So, we have eyesight, but we won't have insight if we don't have a life which is free from sin. Sins will happen, we're human beings. But we have to clean them with Tawbah. And we'll only clean them from Tawbah if we recognize them as a sin. 
and in the last session we also said that the most dangerous sins are the small sins, not the big ones. Because the big ones, people think, oh no, what have I done? And you end up doing Tawbah, you end up putting money in Sadaqah, you end up asking Allah for forgiveness. But the small ones, you think, oh, big deal, it's nothing big. So they are the ones that become more problematic. So something for people to be aware of. So that was number one, Hirmanul Ilm. MashaAllah, very well remembered. Second harmful effect of committing sins. Loss of risk, very good. In Arabic, we call that Hirmanul Risk. Okay, loss of risk, deprivation of risk. So it has a knock-on effect on your sustenance. If a person commits sins in the world, a hadith says that your sustenance depreciates, it goes down. You might not see it physically, but the barakah from it goes away. So this is the second harm of committing sins in the world. Number three, wahsha, very good. In English, we called it estrangement. And between who? You and? Allah. You, you start feeling awkward with Allah. You feel a distance from him. You don't feel close to Him. You feel distant from Him. Almost as if you don't want to spend time with Allah alone. A lot of us are like that, unfortunately. That we can't do much alone. Like if we're alone and we're told to read some Quran, do some dhikr, pray some salah, we, we just can't do it. Uh, we can do it when we're with other people. But alone, it's, we find it really hard. And this is an effect of sins, that you feel this strength. you don't feel close to Allah. A person feels distant from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, may Allah protect us. And this is quite dangerous because Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi said that this then turns into the next one, which is, what's the next one? It's linked to the, this one. Enstrangement from people. So what is wahsha from Allah? You start getting wahsha from people, you, f you start feeling distant from people. And especially people of good, pious people, noble people, people who are regular and punctual with the deen, ulama, those people who are known to be righteous and good, you don't feel comfortable in their company. You don't like them kind of people. You feel a bit odd when you're around them. And that is the effect of committing sins. And this goes so far that a person starts feeling awkward even with his own wife. There's a lot of relationship issues going on at the moment. And there's absolutely nothing wrong. Allah's blessed them with everything. Overall, everything's fine. They've got kids, they've got a house, they've got a car, they've got good jobs, they've got good money coming in. They're going on holidays. They're doing everything that you'd expect the ideal couple to be doing. They're getting along just fine. But they're having major relationship issues despite having no apparent reason. So Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullah is saying one of the reasons is the individual sins a person commits. It comes and haunts you over here that you start having relationship issues. One scholar said whenever I commit a sin, I notice my, my vehicle starts playing up straight away. Those people reckon, we don't reckon, we can't even tell. Okay, we, we, can't, we, we, we like to do the worst kind of sins and we, we, like, we think we're Jibreel and Mikaela. Our number is third after them. But they could pick it up straight away. One scholar says that every time I committed a sin, I saw the effect of it in the relationship with my wife, with my children started playing up and having tantrums, and also my vehicle. I, it just started playing up. Nothing wrong with it. Just started playing up. But, oh, it's that sin that I committed. And the worst part of it is, is when a person starts feeling uncomfortable with themselves. You feel estrangement with yourself. You're not comfortable in your own skin. And a person starts feeling like really odd, even with their own self. And that's quite 
quite worrying when a person comes to that stage. May Allah protect us. So how many is that? So we said Hirmanul Ilm, deprivation of knowledge, deprivation of risk, wahsha from Allah, estrangement from Allah, wahsha from the people. That's four. We've got three more that we covered this morning. Who can tell us? That we've just covered that. Uh, okay, so it weak, committing sins weakens your heart and your body. Okay, so that was one of them. It weakens your heart and your body. So we understand weakening of the heart. Everybody knows if you commit sins, your heart's going to become weak. How does it weaken your body? So Ibn Qayyim, does anybody remember? I think it's like you should write this in gold and should put this on your status. This particular line, I think it's really powerful. All of his lines are powerful. But this one, you can tweet it. That's how good it is. Where does a believer get his strength from? Hmm? From the heart. The believer's strength comes from the heart. So you can be really tough. You can have a strong physique. You can go to the gym every single day. However, however, if the heart is not strong, your body is not going to have the strength of Iman to carry out good deeds. So a believer's strength comes from the heart. Heart is weak, your body is going to be weak, regardless how much muscle you have. So this is another effect of committing sins. It weakens the heart and it weakens the body. Does everyone feeling tired? We only feel tired when we have to pray, or when we're in the masjid, or when we're asked to do something good. Outside, no one's tired. Okay, we can go, go on for hours and hours and hours. We don't feel tired. But it, it doesn't click to us for some reason. It's so obvious, it's so apparent, but we, we never think of it. It's, it's here, Ibn Qayyim is saying, this is what it is. That the weakness of the heart makes the body weak as well, spiritually uh, and physically. So it's, it's something you can actually sense. Uh, so that was number five. We've got six and seven left. Hirmanul ilm one, Hirmanul rizq two, wahsha from Allah three, wahsha from the people four, and weakness of the body, and the heart five. Yeah? So we've got six and seven left. Darkness, yes. Dhulma, darkness on the heart. And Ibn al-Qayyim says, just like the eyes perceive, experience darkness, you see darkness, the heart actually feels darkness, where it doesn't then allow you to see the way. So this kind of darkness comes on, and it starts on the heart. So committing sins, 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 the heart becomes dark. Remember we said a black dot appears, and then another one appears. If you do tawbah, it's clean. But if not, it carries on happening, until the entire heart becomes dark with sins. Then what happens, that darkness, dhulma, transfers then to a person's eyes. And then it transfers to a person's face. And then people can actually sense that darkness as well, and you can as well. It comes to a stage where it's, it's a literal, physical experience. And the last one. No? Unless you don't have your notes today. Anybody? What was the last one that we did? 
Number seven or number six, whichever one you want, where you want to see it, is uh, your, your tasks becoming difficult and whenever you try to do something, the door is always closed in front of you. So you've got either one of two things. Either you really struggle to get through doing things and completing tasks, or you can't do them at all. It's like you try and do it, but it just, the door is just closed on you. So this is also a harmful effect of committing sins. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. Let's continue. Number eight. Now remember them because in Fajr I'll be asking you inshallah. So number eight. The eighth harmful effect of committing sins. The eighth harmful effect of committing sins is sins breed sins. Sins sow the seeds for other sins, for their counterparts. One sin is never one sin. Just, just ingrain this in your mind. One sin is never one sin. It's never one sin. One sin is never alone. You can't get one sin. When shaitan and your nafs tells you, just do it. Okay, just this time, one time. That's it. You won't do it ever again. Just this one time. Know that there is no such thing in this world as one sin. Ibn Qayyim is saying, sins breed sins. Sins give birth to other sins. Sins attract other sins. Sins plant the seeds for more sins. You do one sin that you plant in the seeds for so many more. And this is how it works. So much so that the scholars have said, the most harmful effect of committing a sin is not the actual sin itself. It's the sin that follows it necessarily. The most harmful effect, some scholars used to say, the most harmful effect of committing a sin is not that sin. It's the sin that follows it necessarily. Meaning, you do one, it's never going to be one. It's going to invite another one. And he's saying, The greatest benefit of doing a good deed is not that good deed itself. It's the good deed that follows it necessarily. You do one, the greatest benefit of doing a good deed is it will invite another good deed. This is beautiful. He says that when a person does a good deed, the good deed that's next to it keeps saying to you, me too, me too, me too, do me as well. This is how it works. When you do a good deed, the good deed that's next to it or similar to it, it calls out to you, say, me too, why don't you do me as well? So you think, okay, I'll, I'll do that one as well. When you do that one, the deed next to you says, me too, me too, and you, you do it. And then, and, and this series continues, a person carries, you know some people, you just see them like going for it. This is, what, this is how it works. You think, I, I, I can't even read one page. And some people just like, just going for it. Khatam after khatam, and they're not really strong. They're not more clever than I am. They don't have more time than I am. But what, what is it? This is how it is. When you do one thing, okay, and you get into it, then what happens? The next one says, do me as well. And you go and it carries on. And then this becomes a habit. You know, we speak about addiction. Coming back to the original question. The problem here is the addiction to sin. So you, also you can use it the other way as well. It, the process is exactly the same for good deeds as well. You can get addicted and hooked on to good deeds. Right? You can get hooked on. Like get hooked on to drugs. Like you get hooked on to bad habits. Okay? You can get hooked on to good deeds. But you just can't. You're not just not satisfied without doing it. 
So this is how it works. And then this person's profit really increases. That you went out to just read one page of the Quran and you end up doing another 10 good deeds along with that. And on the contrary, well, Ma'asi, he says, is exactly the same. When a person commits a sin, the sin that's next to it says, me too, me too. And then you think, oh, let, let me just do this one as well. And then the one next to you says, do me as well. And this is what happens. And then this series continues until a person then becomes a habitual sinner. And this becomes deeply rooted. Ibn al-Qayyim says that the sin becomes deeply rooted so much so that it becomes your identity. In the beginning, when a person commits sins, okay, it's a one-off thing. It's a one-off thing. But if you keep doing it, it becomes a habit. And when you're persistent on a habit, that becomes your identity, it becomes who you are. Normally, we don't define ourselves with our past. We say, don't, don't let your past define you, okay? You've had a past, it's fine, you've moved on. But your current, now, now, if we carry on doing certain things, and we do them again and again, and they become a habit, that actually becomes your identity, may Allah protect us. That's how dangerous it is. So it becomes deep-rooted, and it becomes an intrinsic part of who you are. And now he goes on to something very interesting. Now let's go back to the two examples. We spoke about the first person. We call a person doing good deeds a muhsin. Muhsin, a person that does ihsan, a person that does personal amal, a person that does good deeds is a muhsin. So a muhsin, Imagine, this is a person that does good deeds. He did one and then he wanted to do another one. Did another one, did another one. So this person is a habitual uh, in carrying out good deeds. He's got a good deed habit. Okay, he's hooked on to good deeds. Now, if this Mohsin, a person doing righteous and good deeds, if one day he decides to stop doing good deeds, right? He just stops doing it. So he's, got, he's built up this habit to read Quran every day or to do two rakat nafal before he sleeps every day, or to sleep with wudu every day, or to do some sort of dhikr every day, or to do dua, or give some money inside, whatever it is. If a person's habitual in doing good deeds, and one day he decides to stop doing it, the Imam Ibn Qayyim rahmatullahi says, He'll feel really uncomfortable. Do you know when you've not had your coffee or tea in the morning? Yeah? Seems there's no coffee and tea drinkers. No? Speaking to the wrong crowd. Any coffee drinkers, tea drinkers? Yeah? How if you oh little kid mashallah, right? You're on my team. So if you've if you've got a habit of drinking tea or coffee every single day, and one day you don't have it, how do you feel? Yeah? You feel out of place, you feel disoriented, you feel as if you've got a headache, even if the headache's not there, you imagine you've got a headache. Okay, you just don't feel right. He says, this person who's got a habit of doing good deeds, one day you don't do it, it's like the world becomes narrow. Like, you're eating food, it's nice food, you're not enjoying it. You're with family, you're with friends, you're doing the best of things, but something's not right today. I'm a bit uncomfortable. What is it? People notice as well. What's wrong, man? Like, is everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. You won't get it, don't worry. No, honestly, the sun is not right today. And then this person, So much so he'll feel like a fish out of water. Can a fish survive out of water? It is something, some essential missing. 
essential is missing. What's the essential? For a human being, it's oxygen. For a fish, it's water. For a muhsin, it's the good deeds. I've not done my Quran recitation today, and that's all it is. Hatta until he doesn't go and do it. And he might, do you know, halfway through like a gathering as well, halfway through a meetup with friends, just give me two minutes. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm coming, run to the car, pull out his phone, read one page of the Quran, and come, he'll be fine. So, you know what? I'm alright. I'm alright, don't worry, I just have to go and see to something. And this is a muhsin, this is good deeds, this is what good deeds does to you. His nafs feels content now, his coolness of the eyes. I feel much better now. Now this is what we need to understand, the next part. That was for the people who are habitual in doing good deeds. A person who commits sins, remember what the original question was? Right? A person that commits sins, if he decides one day that I'm not going to commit the sin, the bad habit that I have, okay, whether it's listening to haram, looking at something haram, uh, you know, dealing in haram, whatever it is, the guy thinks that today I'm not going to do this. Instead, instead today I'm going to read Quran, okay, I'm going to go to the lecture. Today I'm going to go and sit with the pious people. I'm going to go out for three days in Jamaat, for example. Or they've been knocking on my door, Tablees, I've been coming, I've been saying no, 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 and sending my kids saying, tell, tell him that dad said he's not in, okay? And then he goes, my dad said he's not in. So I've been fobbing them off all this time. But today, you know what? If they come today, Saturday, they're going to knock on my door. If they call me, I'm going to go to the masjid. So if a sinful person, one day, you've got a habit of committing sins, one day you decide that I'm not going to do the bad habit. And instead, I'm going to do the good. Do you know what happens there? Same thing. The person feels really awkward. That's not your normal habit. Many people give up doing good. They want to turn. They want to become better. Look, that person said as well, remember what his question was. I want to give up. I've tried so many times, but I can't. So what This is Ibn Qayyim Rahmatullah is telling you the deep psychology of sins. He's showing you exactly how it works. If you commit sins and one day you want to go and do something good, it's not going to feel good. He's telling you, I'm warning you from now. You're not going to get a good feeling. You're going to feel really bad because you're out of your norm. You're out of your habit. You're going to feel like a fish out of water. You're going to feel really constricted. This is not your kind of thing. Reading Quran is not your kind of thing. That doesn't mean you give it up. That doesn't mean you give it up. You're going to feel pressure. You're going to feel claustrophobic. You're going to look around and what, what's going on here? What's everyone doing? Okay? And this is why the scholars say, as Muslims, we don't worship our feelings. A lot of people get it wrong here. And especially in Ramadan. In Ramadan, you get a buzz. Out of Ramadan, there's no buzz. So people stop doing it. Did we do it for the buzz or did we do it because we have to do it? Do not worship feelings. Once Allah gave a beautiful example of this. He said, imagine you board the train from Birmingham New Street and you're going to London Euston, for example. There's two of you. Okay. So you've boarded to London New Street. You've gone onto the train. Doors have shut and you're going now. Now your friend has got the window seat. You've got the aisle seat. Right? So you're sitting right next to each other. What's your destination? What's the destination? Okay, London Houston, your destination is the same. However, the difference is because your friend's sitting on the window seat, he's going to see much more 
than you will. He will feel much more and experience much more than you will because you're in the aisle seat. But at the end of the day, your destination is the same. Exactly in the same way, when it comes to traveling the path towards Allah and towards Jannah, our destination is the same. Some people feel things on the way, some people don't. That's not important. If we worship our feelings, we'll give it up because you're not going to feel forever. Because when, you go, when you're driving a car, for example, when you go from zero to 60 miles per hour and you put your foot down, okay, you're going to feel it. When it goes to 60 to 70, 70 to 80, do you feel anything? Not much. And this is exactly what happens. When you come out from the darkness into the light, you get that buzz. When a person comes into Islam, when a person leaves committing sins and comes first initially, it's, it's, it's wow. It's all, it's all a buzz. Everything feels like a buzz. You feel like a new, new person, a newborn person. You can experience that sweetness, you're enjoying it and everything. And then what happens when it becomes normal, that buzz goes away. And what happens is people that worship the buzz, they quit. And that's why a lot of people quit. But it was never about the buzz or the feeling. It was about doing the act. Allah's not going to ask you on the day of judgment. Did you feel a buzz when you prayed? Allah's not going to ask you that. Allah's going to ask you, did you pray? That's it. If you prayed, good. If you didn't pray, not good. But Allah is not going to ask you, did you feel the buzz? Did you experience a state of ecstasy? Did you see the jinn and the angels and all these miracles? Allah's not going to ask you any of that. Maulana Ashraf Ali Thani Rahmatullah has a very good principle here. Anything that is beyond your capacity, Allah has never made the obligatory upon you. Anything that's beyond your reach, Allah will not ask you of that on the day of judgment. To see a dream of the Prophet to fly in the air, to do something miraculous, to experience a feeling that's beyond me. If Allah wants to give me that, He'll give it. If He doesn't, He won't. So that should never be our objective. Sometimes on the path towards Allah, we get a little bit confused and we try to achieve these things. We want to feel like somebody else is feeling. If they don't feel, how come I'm not feeling? There must be something wrong with me. Nothing wrong with you. Nothing wrong with you. Yes. MashaAllah. So this is an ayah of the Quran. Allah will not burden you beyond your capacity. Yes. Whatever you do, it goes exactly hand in hand with what we're discussing. The primary source of bringing good in your life is what you do. You do good, you'll get the benefit of good. You commit sins, you're going to see the consequences of it. So, over here we have, we have over here, Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullah is telling us something very deep this is. When a sinful person gives up sin, and instead he does a good deed, you think the person's going to feel a burden. On the contrary, you feel a bit restricted. You feel a bit odd because that's not your normal habit. But he's saying, don't give up then. Okay, because we don't worship our habits. Why do you feel like that? Why do you think a person would feel like that? Why would a person feel restricted and claustrophobic? He's doing a good deed. Why would you feel like that? Not used to it. It's, it's, so, it's common sense, but we don't think of it like You're not used to it, that's all. When you're not used to something, it obviously, you know, some people say, oh, it's hard, man. It's supposed to be hard. You've never done it before. A lot of people don't end up doing a lot of things because they say, oh, it's too hard. But it's supposed to be hard. You haven't done it before. If you keep doing it, it's going to become easy. Did you expect it to stay? It's not easy in the first time you do something. It's supposed to be like that. The mindset 
has a massive impact on our life. And this is what Ibn Qayyim is teaching us here. It's supposed to feel odd because it's not your habit. You're out of your comfort zone. That's not your comfort zone. Every day you're doing sins and then today you want to read Quran and you want to feel up there as well. No, that doesn't mean you give it up. It'll come slowly, slowly. You'll get the buzz. The buzz will come, the buzz will go. But don't worship the buzz. Don't wait for the buzz to come. It will come. That time will happen when you will feel something because the darkness will be going away. And those people who come to Islam, whether reverts or leaving a life of sin and then coming to Islam totally, where they've got no Islam, they do feel the light. Because when you've got darkness in a room and you, switch, you, turn, you, you light a candle, you light one candle, small candle in a dark room. Imagine this whole room, masjid, is dark and you light one candle. He feels the light spreads everywhere. What happens when you bring another candle? Brighter, but is it, is it the same effect? Is it the same effect? What about when you bring the third one? What about when you bring 10 candles? Is it brightening the room? Yes. Is the noor coming in? Yes. Can you feel it? No, not anymore. You can't tell now. It's happening. So when you're doing good deeds, when you go from 80 to 90 miles per hour, you can't tell anymore. When you're on a plane and it takes off, everyone can tell. Okay, you're holding on to your seat. Okay, those of you, some people read the dua like 10 times. Okay, when it's in the air, it's going much faster than it was going on the ground. Can you feel it? No. Does that mean you're not moving? A lot of people give up because they think I'm not moving. I'm not making progress. I'm not achieving. Of course you are. Every good deed has got so many benefits. And similarly, similarly, if you're committing sins, last session we spoke about this, persons committing sins, nothing wrong has happened to me. I'm still okay. I can see, I can hear. Okay, I've got nice food. I've still got my clothes, I've got my house. Oh, it should be okay. Allah's probably really happy with me because nothing's happened. No, no, no. If you do something wrong, remember the scholar who said, Ibn Sirin Rahmatullah, he said, that he fell into debt and the debt became overwhelming and he realized straight away that 40 years ago he committed a sin and he saw the effect of it after 40 years so these people recognize these things so so what happens now this is where he's bring he's really driving this point home what, remember what the question was a person's committing a sin, he knows it's wrong, he's tried to quit it so many times, he just can't quit it. What's the way out? Ibn al-Qayyim says, when a sinful person tries to quit and does a good deed, what happens? You feel restricted because you're not used to it. Then he says, until this person goes back to committing sins, goes back to committing sins. Until a time comes when so many sinful people, what they do is they go and commit sins again. They're not committing the sin because they're not even getting any pleasure out of it. They're not enjoying it anymore, but they're doing it because of the habit. Just like there's no pull. The sin is not even inviting them anymore. The sin is not even enjoyable anymore. But a person carries on doing it. Why? Because you normalized it so much, it's become intrinsically part of you. So when you don't do it, you don't get enjoyment out of it. You do it because you don't want to feel the uh, withdrawal symptoms. That's the right word. Yeah? 
Just take the example of a smoker, a person who's into drugs, a person who's drinking, a person who's into gambling. All of these, they're all very similar. The addictions, okay? A time comes when people don't get the buzz out of it. Ask people that smoke, they'll tell you. Like in the beginning when they were teens, at school, high school for example, or whenever they started, okay, sneaking, you know, behind the sheds, behind, going around the corner with the mates and stuff and having a drug or two. At that time it was a buzz, you actually felt something. 20 years later, you're still having a full box, you're not really enjoying it. There's no buzz. You know it's harmful for you. You've got sicknesses, you've got illnesses, you've got kids now, you don't want them to be harmed as well. But it's not, you're not doing it for the buzz. You're doing it because you don't want to face the withdrawal symptoms. Because in your head, in your mind, if I don't have it, I'm going to feel bloated. If I don't have it, how am I going to digest my food? If I don't have it, okay, I'm going to get a headache. So people carry on committing sins because they don't want to face the trouble and the harm. Not because of the benefit, I don't call it benefit, not because of the pleasure. And Mufti Shafi Sahur has got a kitab, in Urdu, it's called Gunahe Be Lazat. In English, it's sin without pleasure. Where a person start, comes to a stage where there's no pleasure in the sin. You're not enjoying it. You're doing it because you don't want to face the withdrawal symptoms. The pain of leaving is much more than the enjoyment of committing. This is some deep stuff Ibn Qayyim is speaking about. And this is something every single one of us need to know. He brings a, 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 a poem. Now, Arabic poetry, okay, Arabic poetry from back in the days, it usually speaks about one of three things. Alcohol, okay, uh, horses, or women. These are the three things normally that Arabic poetry speaks about. So over here, he says, وَكَأْسٍ شَرِبْتُ عَلَى لَذَّةٍ وَأُخْرَى تَدَاوَيْتُ مِنْهَا بِهَا وَكَأْسٍ شَرِبْتُ عَلَى لَذَّةٍ he says, one glass, one glass of wine, I drink for pleasure. The other one, I drink it. Why? To wash the first one down. The first one I drink out of pleasure. The second one I drink to wash the first one down. This is how sins work. One sin is never one sin. One sin means another hundred thousands of sins. Because it's never alone. So, this is what we find. So, it's important that we don't worship the feelings. So, he goes on to say how a good person, a servant of Allah, continues doing good deeds and becomes accustomed to it, loves it, doesn't worship the feelings. So much so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, if you don't worship the feelings, start doing good deeds, even you find it difficult, you don't feel, but you don't enjoy it. Remember, this path is quite lonely. I'm going to mention one thing here. This path is a lonely path. If you decide to give up sins, you're going to have to give up bad company. If you decide to give up sins, you're going to have to give up all your habits that you've had. That, that was your kind of makeup. That is who you were up until now. Abandoning that is abandoning an identity that you've had for so many years. So the path that you, this is going to be a lonely path initially. Because you're going to feel you're all alone. Okay, but remember, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells you you're not alone. Ula'ika ma'alladheena an'amallahu alayhim minan nabiyyin wa siddiqeen wa shuhada'i wa salihin wa hasuna ula'ika rafiqa. Allah says, don't worry, you're not alone. The path you've just taken, the path of good, this is the path. You know who else is with you? The prophets are with you. 
the Siddiqeen are with you, the Shuhada and the Martyrs are with you, and the Salihin, the Righteous are with you. Allah said, What amazing friends and companions you've got. This is the best company you can have. You can't have better company than this. So Ibn Al-Qayyim says, When a person continues doing the good deeds, so much so that he enjoys doing them, he becomes accustomed to it, starts making the good deeds into a habit, and doesn't seek out just feelings, but does it because you want to. Do you know what happens? Allah sends malaika and angels to help you carry out the good deeds. Like angels will come and wake you up for fajr. Angels will tell you and inspire you, read the Quran, it's your Quran time. The angel will come and this every single person has an angel with them and a shaitan with them. Everyone, we learn from the hadith. You have an angel with you and you have a shaitan with you. So that angel will become stronger because you've listened to his advice. The more good you do, your good side will push you more. So the angel will wake you up for fajr. The angel will encourage you to speak the truth. The angel will help you, will guide you, will keep you away from sins. He says, on the contrary, if a person commits sins and commits more sins and carries on committing sins, what happens? A person loves the sin. A person becomes accustomed to the sin. Sin becomes your identity. So much so, you have a qareen. Quran tells you every single person has a qareen, a shaitan with you. That shaitan overpowers you then. Then the shaitan, when it's time to fajr, what does he do? The hadith says, he urinates in your ear, physically. This is not some example or some metaphor. This is a physical experience. Okay? Shaitan urinates in the ear so that you don't hear the adhan. You don't hear anyone that wakes you. You don't hear any sound at that time. Quran, the hadith says very clearly, whoever doesn't wake up for fajr because shaitan has urinated in your ear. He ties the three knots on, your, on the back of your head and tells you, You've got a long night ahead of you. Sleep like a bride. Sleep like the bride sleeps on the first night. Okay, sleep, go to sleep. You've got a long night. And he keeps tapping you. You know how you tap a baby and you pat the baby to sleep? This is what Shaitan does. Go to sleep, go to sleep. Yes, and then when you wake up in the morning, okay, because there's no wudu, there's no fajr, there's no dhikr of Allah, those knots remain. And those knots are actually, like the brother said, they are the wasawis of shaitan. That stays with you for the rest of the day. You feel groggy. In the morning, the hadith says you wake up very lazy, lethargic. You've had a full night's sleep, but you're still tired. And you don't have a good day. So this is what Ibn Qayyim is mentioning. That was number, what number was that? Number eight. So what was it, number eight? Sins plant the seeds for other sins. Sins breed sins. Sins invite other sins. That was the eighth harmful effect of committing sins. Number nine. The ninth harmful sin, harmful effect of committing sin. And Ibn Qayyim says, min akhwafiha. He says, this is the one I fear the most. I fear this one the most. Slowly, slowly, the heart loses the desire for good. When a person keeps committing sins, he says the ninth harmful effect of committing sins is slowly, slowly, the heart loses the desire to carry out good deeds. And the desire for committing sins is increased. So then what happens as a result of that, a person's intention for Tawbah becomes very weak and as if next to nothing. 
slowly, slowly, the intention of Tawbah is taken out of the heart altogether. So there's no dream of making Tawbah. There's no idea of making Tawbah. So this is what happens. And he's saying, this is the one I'm worried about the most. So he's telling the student who asked the question, how do I pick committing sins? He says, this is the harm I fear the most. That it weakens your intention to do good deeds. At one time you wanted to do good deeds. But sins, what it does, it makes your heart so weak that you no longer want to do good deeds. Instead, you want to do more sins. You want to carry out sins. And altogether, the intention of Tawbah comes out. Ibn Qayyim says, even if you are half dead, meaning even if you get some kind of illness, you know you're not going to live for long, or you become old, you know, you say you've got one foot in the grave, like, you know, why are you acting like this now? Some people, some youngsters, they talk to the elders like this. You've got one foot in the grave, and you're still behaving like this. So he says, even if you're half dead, you've got some kind of sickness, illness, you've just had an accident, may Allah protect us all, or something really bad happened, or you've come to the end of your life, you're half dead, he says, even then a person still won't make tawbah. Why? Because committing sins again and again and again weakens your resolve to make repentance. And he makes you so weak that you will then do superficial istighfar. This is again very deep. Ibn al-Qayyim says, such people on the tongue, they will keep saying, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. He said, that will be superficial. Real forgiveness, you have to make tawbah. You have to cry to Allah. A person will think, I'm doing so much istighfar every day. I'm doing the sin, I'm saying, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah as well at the same time. That's what happens. This is super, he says, this, this is called tawbatul kaddabin bil lisan. This is fake tawbah with the tongue. You don't mean it. If you meant it, you would cry and you repent and you make sincere tawbah and you cry to Allah. Don't worry about if it happens again. This is shaitan. Shaitan tells you, you're going to do the sin tomorrow anyway. Does shaitan tell us this sometimes? Tomorrow you're going to do the sin anyway. Why are you making tawbah today? What benefit is there? Why at that time of iftar now? Why should I cry to Allah and ask Allah to forgive me when tomorrow I'm going to do the same sin? This is a deception of shaitan. Who promised you tomorrow? Who promised you tomorrow? No. Allah hasn't promised us tomorrow. Shaitan is promising you tomorrow. Do we listen to the promise of Shaitan? This is procrastination. This is where Shaitan brings us to tomorrow. We haven't been promised tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll see if, if I'm around tomorrow. This is how we work with the nafs and Shaitan. You tell the Shaitan, Shaitan, listen, bro. I am here today. I'm going to make Tawbah now. If I'm alive tomorrow and do the sin, I'm going to do Tawbah again tomorrow. But don't try and deceive me. Don't try and deceive me. I'm alive now, I'll make Tawbah now. If tomorrow comes and I do the sin again, then I'll make Tawbah again and Allah will forgive me. So this is how the shaitan works. He tries to deceive a person. And so he says, And the person keeps committing sins, superficial istighfar, he's saying astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. And what he's doing, if you're he's planning his next sin already. He's saying astaghfirullah, but thinking about the next sin a person will commit. May Allah protect us. He says, This is the worst kind of spiritual sickness you can experience, and this will totally destroy a person. May Allah protect us. May Allah keep us on the straight path. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us against this. We'll do one more very quickly, number 10. The tenth harmful effect of committing sins is 
The hatred of sins is taken away from the heart. You don't think it bad anymore. When you did it the first time, you thought a mountain fell on your own. How did I do this such a thing? You went and met Tawbah. You cried, you put money in the sadaqah box. Why is the masjid sadaqah box so full? Okay, people put money in when they do big sins. But when you keep committing a big sin, it doesn't, it's not big anymore. You don't put sadaqah anymore. Because in your eyes, what happens, the harmful effect of sins is the great, the, the ugliness of the sin is taken away. It doesn't look ugly anymore. So much so that you actually start enjoying it. It looks good to you. You get a buzz out of it and you normalize the sin. You take pride in it. A person starts taking pride in the sin. It becomes a habit. And then he doesn't, even if people see him doing it, he thinks, who cares? Who cares? It's fine. Remember, Islam is a communal religion. Islam is a communal religion. We worship Allah in community. We live in communities. We come together in communities. There's no idea of Islam of being, and at the moment there is this push and drive towards individualism. Like, who cares what anyone says? I'm myself. Who are you to judge me? You hear this a lot. Who are you to judge me? Some of us might say this as well. Who are you to judge me? It's a very wrong statement. Very wrong statement. Yeah, we shouldn't be judgmental. But I cannot have this attitude. Who are you to judge me? Islam is a communal religion. We live in a community and we are expected to live to a certain standard. If people around you have a certain moral standard, and if I am dropping in those standards, I should expect people should correct me. Like when you're driving your car and you have the lane discipline. Allah will switch you off, don't we? Yeah, who has lane discipline in the car? Like you're, you're driving in the lane, if you go a little bit off, it starts beeping. It's annoying, isn't it? Yeah, and you can actually switch it off. You guys are looking up as if you've never heard of this before. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? No, well, you probably don't drive that well. Yeah, the guys who drive it know and understand what I'm saying. That alert that comes on there, it's quite annoying. And you've got an option to actually switch it off. And a lot of people do switch it off, right? Because it's annoying because you don't want to be straightened. You don't want anyone to keep telling you, right? You're out of line. You're out of line. But this is Islam is a communal religion. People don't like to be told. But that is if we, if we become individualists, we're just going to end up going on the wrong path. Islam is all about you live in a community amongst people who have the same moral standards and values as you. If you start dropping from those values and start adopting other values, you should expect people to bring it up to your attention and tell you. Just like the lane discipline in your car, you're going out of line. And that helps you to come back on track. And then you have a level of shame. This is called justified shame. You get some shame that's not good. Okay, shaming somebody, it's not good. But you've got a certain level of shame, which is called justified shame. And that is in a community where people share the same moral values. When you drop from those values, people are going to highlight it to you. They're going to bring it to your attention. And this is something we need to be mindful of. So this shame is very helpful. So to say only Allah can judge me, who are you to judge me? Only Allah can judge me. Very dangerous statement. Very, very dangerous. And a lot of people are now getting into this because they don't want anyone to tell them anything. Who are you to tell me? No, 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 we're not telling you. You, don't we share the same moral standards? Don't we follow the same rules? If you're dropping from the rules, I'm gonna let you know that you're going off track over here. I have, it's my duty. But we don't want anyone to tell us. So much so then what will happen is you will drop those values and start adopting other values. 
Yeah, and then you want to associate with people that don't share the same values as it very dangerous. That's when people are going through an identity crisis. People are leaving Islam. People are leaving the religion because they feel it's very claustrophobic. A lot of people in the masjid, they feel that there's too much lame discipline here. So some people don't come to the masjid at all. No, man, we need to have a balance. You can't start pinpointing everything to everybody. But there needs to be a, a level of social shame. That if I do so, because when you come to a stage where you feel I can carry on doing bad, I can come out publicly and say that I'm not a male anymore. And who can, I don't care what people say. If it comes to that stage, you've dropped in your moral standard. You don't have the same moral values as the rest of the community. And the Prophet wasallam has said, from the previous prophets, one of the teachings we heard, when you don't have shame, when you no longer have any shame, do what you want. Do what you want. Because you don't have any shame anymore. Shame is very helpful. Shame is very helpful uh, in staying on the straight path. So Ibn al-Qayyim is saying that this is something. When a person continues committing sin, what happens is a person normalizes sin. I end with mentioning a hadith of the Prophet The Prophet says, On the day of judgment, Allah will forgive my whole ummah except for one category of people. They are called al-mujahideen. So the Sahaba said, O oh, Prophet of Allah, who are the mujahideen? Who are those people? And the Prophet said, they are those people who commit sins in secret, in the dead of the night. But then the following morning, they start telling everyone about their sins. They put it on Facebook, on Snapchat, they show everybody. Do you know what I did last night? Do you know what you guys missed out, you know? Last night was sick, you know, we, we did this and we got up to this. So he says, Allah covered your sin. Allah covered your sin. Allah hid that from the people, but you went out and start displaying it to the people. Allah says on the day of judgment, such people are not going to be forgiven. Now, why do you think their punishment is so severe? Do you know why? Because they're normalizing sin. They want to create a culture where sin is normalized. And that's what's happening now. People, we, we're seeing around us where it's being normalized. Every, you shouldn't say anything. You should just act as if it's normal, it's okay. It's okay, it's not okay. It's not okay, it's a sin and it has a detrimental effect. And they want to, they're breaking down the moral value of society by publicizing sins and making those things which were private into something in bringing into the public domain. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us to abstain from a life of sin. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to understand the pathways to do good and the pathways to sin and avoid them. Next session inshallah will be tomorrow morning after Salatul Fajr. Salatul Fajr is at 5.05 tomorrow morning as well. Jazakumullah khaira. Please, this time is very, very valuable. If we can come forward, fill in the gaps. Uh, and uh, also the bottles that you have, please take them home with you. Use the water, take the bottles home with you. If you come across a bin, once you've used it, throw it into the bin. If there's still water in there, please use the water. Don't throw the water away. Fill in the gaps of the space for people coming afterwards, inshallah, and engage in dua. This is time to make dua. Duas are definitely accepted. Everybody should engage in dua. Jazakumullah khairan.